Welcome to the Journal.ie's The Explainer, where every week we take a deep dive into a different news story. I'm Sinead O'Carroll, and this week, how does Ireland and the EU fight wildfires? This episode is supported by the Directorate General for European Civil Protection and Humanitarian Aid Operations. That's DG ECHO for short. Devastating wildfires are something we most commonly associate with Australia's bushfires or evacuations in Southern California, but they are increasingly becoming something that Europe and even Ireland has had to deal with. 2021, for example, saw one of the worst summers for wildfires in Spain, Italy and Greece. Add in Tunisia and Algeria and the death toll was actually 86, with many more injured and displaced people. In Ireland, we've seen multiple news stories about fire services being called to out-of-control gorse fires. And as the climate warms and conditions become drier, the risks associated with both deliberate and accidental fires grow. How can we prevent these devastating fires and what is being done in Ireland and at European level to mitigate and deal with them? To answer these questions, I'm joined today by Pork Fogarty, Campaigns Officer with the Irish Wildlife Trust, and Martin Patter, Emergency Response Officer at the Emergency Response Coordination Centre of DG ECHO. Thanks for joining me both, and we'll start with you, Pork. I mentioned there that while Ireland isn't immune to these fires, we do associate them with more far-flung countries. But they aren't actually a part of our natural ecosystem in any way, are they? Yeah, exactly. This is a very important thing to note because we see um, huge fires happening in places like California and the Mediterranean Basin, as you mentioned. But in fact, those areas have evolved with fire over thousands of years. Fire is a natural part uh, of the ecosystem there, whereas in Ireland, that is not the case. Our natural ecosystems tend to be very wet and hold on to an awful lot of water. So I'm thinking in particular about our bogs and our native woodlands, which in their natural healthy state are not flammable. So this means that the way we approach fires needs to be very different uh, in Ireland to what they might do in places like California uh, or the Mediterranean. And what does that mean then, that most of the fires that we see are started by humans? Oh, I would say all of the fires we have in Ireland are started by humans, whether that means they're deliberate or accidental. Um, whereas in places like the Mediterranean, they many of them are also deliberate, but they also have naturally occurring uh, fires through things like lightning strikes. But it also means that the way we respond needs to be very different because uh, whereas a controlled fire may well be an appropriate response uh, in the Mediterranean. So in order to maybe mimic natural processes in Ireland, we have to do things quite differently. Uh, We should be restoring our natural ecosystems, our native woodlands, our, our bogs, but also because it's, uh, you know, they they are the ecosystems that store carbon, are good for our water quality uh, and are home to biodiversity. So they're the main things we should be doing. So when we do hear news stories about wildfires burning in Ireland, it usually centres around gorse fires, farmland fires. Why are they the things that we hear about? Well, I mean, first of all, I mean, we, we have very little hard data to go by uh, about fires in Ireland. Uh, but we do know that fire has been part of traditional agricultural practice. Now, I put traditional maybe in air quotes, because going back uh, centuries, we didn't use fire to control uh, vegetation. 
It's only really in more recent times, I'm thinking in particular since the 1990s, that we have seen uh, fire become a major problem uh, as part of agricultural activities. And this is usually to do with clearing land in order to make it eligible for EU payments. Now, we, we do also get fires that are uh, malicious in terms of you know vandalism and what are called urban interface fires where you've got people going out deliberately setting fires but the agricultural elements to it I think is very important and I think what has happened is we've sent mixed messages to farmers we've told them that burning land is good practice but then we don't have uh, systems in place that really encourage uh, what's referred to as controlled or prescribed uh, burning. So really what we get is uh, people just throwing a match into areas and walking away. And then we see these huge damaging fires uh, that destroy whole ecosystems. Yeah, just from personal anecdote, um, I live at a housing estate. And when I was growing up across the road was a farm. And every few years, the farmer would burn the land. And it was always terrifying as a child to see this huge fire right beside us. But we never really knew why. But then, you know, my mom or dad might say, oh, it's to, um, you know, make the land better for farming. Is there truth that it does make the land better and it's not just about EU payments? Well, I mean, when you say it makes it better for farming, it clears land uh, for farming. Uh, if you have land that's covered in gorse or or other kinds of uh, bushy vegetation, that typically means that farm animals can't access it. So particularly sheep, um, you know, they're, they're not particularly capable animals uh, when, when faced with, with dense vegetation. So really, that's what it does. It doesn't improve the quality of the land. Um, it just clears it. Uh, and of course, it probably degrades the land because it's drying out the soil, it's polluting water courses, and of course, it's poisoning the air and releasing greenhouse gases. So it's actually a very, very damaging activity, whether that is done in a controlled way uh, or what we mostly see, the the uncontrolled way. Could it be something that is banned here or will we continue just to see warnings um, and advice given to farmers about it? Well, the response so far uh, has been completely inadequate uh, in our view. We've seen these fires uh, grow in number and extent year after year. We saw two years ago that nearly half of Killarney National Park burnt down. We see these happening in special areas of conservation. And really, we see very little uh, happening. Now, we have said that what we would like to see is for all fires to be prohibited, that we shouldn't be allowing uh, fires under any circumstances. As I said before, this leads to a kind of a mixed messaging for farmers uh, that on the one hand, it's best practice uh, farming organizations will say. And then on the other hand, most of these fires are happening during the bird nesting season or they're happening in sensitive areas and they're, and they're not permitted. So we have to be very clear that this is not acceptable. It's completely environmentally destructive. But on the other hand, we have to put in uh, measures to encourage farmers to practice good land management. In, order, in other words, to farm in a sensitive way that will help to restore our native ecosystems uh, and to produce food in a nature friendly way that doesn't involve setting fire to the land. Is there best practice in another country? Is there somewhere who's showing us the way? Well, not really. I mean, we see in the in Britain, we see fire is used. Uh, they 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 do what's called prescribed burning in Britain. So they burn big patches, and it's and it's controlled in a way that that is better than the uncontrolled variety. But the studies from the UK have shown that 
this dries out peatland. Most of these fires are happening on peatland and, you know, drying out peatland is a total climate disaster uh, and, and it pollutes waterways. And it's also associated with persecution of birds of prey. So we don't really have areas in our climate. And I'm talking kind of northern Europe where we have uh, good practice uh, of, of, of burning. I mean, good practice would look like restoration of an, on a very large scale of natural ecosystems, rewilding, as well as encouraging farmers to farm in, in a nature-friendly way. Are you worried that the situation with wildfires in Ireland could continue to get worse each year? Oh, yeah. But I mean, from from um, an ecological point of view, in a way, we have already hit rock bottom. We've had uh, 30 years nearly of these fires uh, that we know about. And most of the birds from our upland area um, are already extinct or certainly extinct locally. We know that our peatlands are in dreadful condition. We know that many of our waterways uh, are polluted. And we know that for people living in these areas, it's absolutely terrifying. They have to live with uh, the destruction of their uh, immediate surroundings. They live in fear of their houses being burnt down and they're breathing in uh, toxic fumes. So... This has been allowed to go on uh, for for all this time. And maybe because we haven't valued our hills, uh, we haven't seen them. They're not major centers of food production. They're not creating a lot of wealth for people. They tend to be quite marginal areas from a social and economic uh, point of view. So this is really a policy problem. uh, And we have tried to highlight that it will need a policy solution. Uh, It will need senior politicians to step up and invest money in these areas and in communication to try and produce plans that that allow for restoration while uh, providing incomes for local people who will be needed to do all the work that I think uh, is required over the coming decade. Just to repeat a question, just to be clear. So when we hear about gorse fires and you're saying that's marginal land, that is more than likely then land that's not used for a huge amount of activity but farmers can clear the gorse with with a fire and it it can be controlled or it can go out of control. Would that be a fair assessment of what, of what we're saying happens in Ireland? Uh, yes. Now, just uh, we, we call them gorse fires, but typically they are fires of heather or uh, other flammable vegetation uh, on our hills. So, yeah, so f- farmers traditionally uh, have been incentivized to clear land because in order to receive their payment under the common agricultural policy, the land has to be what's called uh in good environmental condition, which is a kind of a, a paradoxical uh, title for it. But what they mean is that it needs to be grazable. And for it to be grazable, the vegetation has to be short. And uh, if if you don't use fire, uh, getting tall, thorny vegetation short is quite a difficult thing to do. And it's quite, actually quite impossible in some areas which are, are difficult to access with machinery. So Setting it on fire uh, has been quite an effective way of achieving that. But remember, I mean, these subsidies are being paid for sheep, um, which, uh, you know, you know, there's all kinds of problems with sheep. They're already overgrazing our hills. They don't make money for the farmers. Uh, they're leading to all this pollution and greenhouse gas emissions. So the subsidy system has to change. And, and actually, a good news story is that in, in one respect, the subsidy system has changed in that farmers are no longer being penalized as of this year, 2023, 
uh, farmers are not being penalized for having this vegetation on their land. Uh, so that's that's a very good thing. But we need more active measures by policymakers for restoration and, and not just abandoning these places. Martin, we just talked about the Irish situation there, but things on the ground in Europe and mainland Europe are very different. People will remember the images of Greece's wildfires in 2021. Can you remind people of what happened? Indeed, uh, 2021 was very challenging uh, summer, not only for Greece, but for many other countries. But uh, Greece particularly uh, faced a very uh, tough weather conditions uh, with uh, uh, average temperatures exceeding 40 Celsius. And on top of that, if you add to this Low humidity and very strong wind is a perfect recipe for a forest fire that will spread very quickly. So uh, in, at the beginning of August, there were six large fires that were burning in many different uh, areas. Uh, and by saying large fires, it's the fires of a few hundreds, if not few thousands of hectares burned. Uh, in total, uh, in August, mm, there were 125,000 of hectares burned in, in, um, in Greece and the biggest fire in uh, Evia Island uh, burned 50,000 hectares. Uh, just, uh, just for comparison, uh, the biggest fire uh, in Poland uh, in 1992 had 9,000 hectares. So you can see that there is a difference in scales. Uh, so all this uh, situation led to, to very tough conditions for many, many uh, villages. Thousands of people have to, have to be evacuated. And we remember all of these disturbing pictures uh, where people had to uh, flee their houses and to look for shelter on the beaches and uh, when they have to be evacuated by uh, the ferries to the all, uh, other islands. Uh, and this happened uh, amid uh, the summer that was, as I said, very tough for all, uh, other countries. At the same time, we have uh, uh, in Brussels uh, already... Uh, activation and the request for assistance from uh, uh, Turkey, uh, Italy and Albania. And what is the situation on the ground for the firefighters, the people trying to put these fires out? It is very challenging. I must say that uh, I was very really disturbed uh, when, I was, when I was there. I remember when I was driving to um, Evia Island to meet the firefighters responding to the fire uh, over there. It took me almost an hour uh, to, to reach uh, through uh, uh, the area that was burned. And uh, over the window, what you can see, it's only burned uh, trees, buried vegetations. Uh, there is ash everywhere. Uh, we've seen many uh, of houses that were burned. All of them were uh, abandoned. People have to leave them. Uh, and I must say, I'm a firefighter myself, but it was still very uh, uh, disturbing. It was very insecure uh, feeling that I that I had uh, two days. And uh, later, when I met the firefighters uh, that were battling the fires for for a couple of days already, they said that they never seen anything like this uh, before in, in the professional career. Many of them they came from uh, Central and Northern Europe, so. You can imagine that the forest fires in those countries are uh, slightly different. The, the fire behavior uh, in, in, the, in the southern countries are more violent. It's wilder. The, the fires are uh, more severe. So uh, this was very challenging. This was very challenging situation for the firefighters. And um, at some point, uh, we were also fear uh, for the safety of the operations. Just so our listeners know why you were in Greece, can you tell us a little bit about what your organization does and what type of uh, support it provides to countries battling wildfires? DigiEco um, uh, runs an emergency response coordination center. This is a place uh, uh, here in Brussels, but we try first to monitor the fire risk uh, even before the, the fire occurs. So we need to know what is happening and to be prepared how to respond. 
when the situation um, is overwhelming one of the countries, they can always request for assistance. In this case, Greece um, requested for uh, for planes and ground teams to to support the efforts. So uh, our role here is uh, to make sure that this request uh, uh, is transmitted to all of the European member states and uh, participating state of the European Civil Protection Mechanism. And then uh, we need to make sure that uh, we have a timely, because for especially for the forest fires and the wildfires, time is of essence. So we need to make sure that the available resources are deployed quickly in a coordinated way to make sure that there are effective uh, uh, and uh, the, that we use the most and, and we take the most of what we have. And you talk about sending uh, equipment. What's the rescue fleet like? What does it consist of and what's what's its main function? So the rescue fleet is a um, European reserve of um, firefighting planes. Uh, they are on standby, uh, standby located in uh, some European countries. Uh, each year uh, we have the increased number of the planes being ready to be deployed from one place to another. Uh, the Commission uh, bought uh, first two planes a couple of years back. Uh, they are already operating in uh, Northern uh, Europe. They are based in Sweden. When needed, they can be deployed in this case, or they, they were also deployed to Greece. On top of that, the European Union supports the standby and operation costs financially are covered by, uh, by the EU. Uh, to make sure that whenever there is a need to be uh, to have uh, additional planes to, to to deploy them from one part of the Europe to another, that uh, they will be ready to to be deployed. And when we say planes, what kind of planes are they? So those are the specialized firefighting uh, planes for firefighting. So uh, basically, you can imagine a plane with a water tank that can uh, fly and drop water onto the fire. There are many different planes that uh, we used uh, in the European Union. The most common one uh, are known as Canaders. So uh, this is a plane that carries six tons of water. Uh, it can release it uh, on the on the fire in a couple of seconds. And what's special about this plane, it can uh, land on water and it can scoop water and refill the water tank while flying from uh, the river, the sea or the lake. So it's, it's done in a couple of seconds and then the plane can return back to the fire. And on top of that, we have different variety of planes that can carry uh, up to 10,000 tons of water uh, and also, of course a smaller ones that are more agile, uh, quicker, uh, but carry uh, a bit less water. On top of that, we also have helicopters that uh, can uh, use something which is called Bambi buckets. Uh, there is a huge bucket that can be refilled in either a tank or a, a water reservoir like a lake, a swimming pool or river. So the helicopter takes the water and drops it uh, on, on the fire. That'd be something we'd be more familiar with. The fires that we're talking about and say I talked about with pork earlier, we'd see our Irish Air Corps helicopters come down with buckets in the lake and pour over the fire. And we wouldn't be as used to the planes that you're talking about there, which probably goes to the point that fires are different in different places and that you have to be trained differently to be able to get them under control. Yes, uh, indeed. Um, uh, first, if you if you think of uh, cooperation uh, of the ground forces with the air resources, it's very challenging. You don't want the, the, the plane to drop uh, the water on the firefighters. It can be very dangerous. Then, if you think of uh, dealing with the with the forest fires in northern Europe, they're completely different than the one that uh, firefighters see in uh, Mediterranean countries. Uh, and we're talking not only about the size. The most important thing here is the fire behavior. The, the speed uh, of which the fire goes from one place to another 
it's so quickly that very often um, a person cannot escape. So you need to be prepared. You need to you need to understand what the fire would be like in an hour or in two, and you need to plan in advance to make sure that you run the operation safely. Because at the end of the day, we want all the firefighters to to, to return to the firehouse uh, safe and sound, and we want them to do their effective work uh, as as much as possible. So yes, they have to learn uh, after every incident. And uh, that's also where DigiEco comes into play because uh, we uh, create a platform for firefighters to train together. A few days ago, uh, we had exercises in Portugal where firefighters from Europe uh, came and practiced the best uh, way to, to coordinate uh, the efforts from different angles. Uh, they also discussed how to uh, uh, be effective when coordinating with firefighters uh, from other countries. Yeah, because there would there be some firefighters who say are based in cities and they'd be used to putting out fires in buildings and then maybe have to be called in to help with wildfires somewhere in in the region. Yes, it works differently in different countries. So uh, some countries, they have a uh, fire crews that are designated to uh, wildfire operations mostly. So for, you can imagine of the firefighters that uh, are helicoptered to the remote areas, they uh, get off of the, of the plane and they uh, build uh, fire suppression lines with fire tools. But in many, many cases, there are firefighters that are working all over the year. And as you said, today, they are putting up the fire uh, in the apartment and tomorrow they have to uh, go to another part of the region uh, of the, or, or the country, and they will they will have to fight uh, the fire uh, uh, in, in, in the open space. So completely different tactics, completely different uh, strategies they have to use. Just to go back to the this, this specifics on Greece, was there anything else about the DG Echo response um, that was particularly important in that uh, scenario? I believe that from DigiEco perspective, this was one of the biggest operation related to the wildfires we have run for the for the last decades. Just to give you some uh, numbers, we deployed nine firefighting planes, 13 ground units, and uh, we are talking about firefighters that uh, had to drive sometimes thousands of kilometers to reach Greece. Uh, which is almost 1,100 uh, firefighters, 250 vehicles. So that was a huge response. And if you think of putting all these people together, standing hand in hand with uh, Greek firefighters, uh, if you think about the logistics of the operations, uh, the cooperation, coordination of, the, of these resources, it was an immense effort. And of course, uh, we are only supporting the Greek authorities, but uh, most of the job uh, has been done by by the Greek firefighters. So you need to make sure that the resources that you provide, they, have, they fit in to the system that is already existing and that they, they support and complement the, the job that uh, it's been, has been already done. On a more general and big picture question, as the climate warms, have you noticed changes in the wildfires you are fighting? Yes, this is the trend that we are observing for the last years. Just to give you an example, um, in 2022, 20 EU member states uh, recorded more burnt areas than average. So it is a common uh, that we are right now having more fires, and some of them uh, we call uh, as a mega fires. So we have more and more fires that are very big, that are very severe, very severe, and uh, for, from our perspective. The complexity of behavior uh, that we are seeing is also not seen before in Europe to this extent. And also this, all of these factors, uh, they make the fires resistance to the extinction, which is also challenging from our perspective. So they keep burning no matter how much water you put onto them? 
Yes, uh, at some point, the water is not enough. Uh, so we also need to sh shift our uh, tactics because water is always limited. Uh, you have limited resources to throw the water on the uh, on the fire. So you need to th think differently. And of course, the easiest way is to to tackle the fires even before this, they start. So it is, it is prevention, is building the resilient forest and, and building the resilience ecosystem to make sure that even if the fire starts, it will be easier to, to, to control it. Uh, just to mention that Less than five percent of the fire of the of the wildfires they cause more than fifty percent of the burnt areas, so this gives you a feeling how how big are the fires and how hard it is to stop them when they occur. So it would be easier to stop a lot of smaller fires than one big fire, basically. Uh, if we would be able to choose, yes, it's better to fight ten smaller fires than one big one, uh, and that's why uh, this is important to make sure uh, that we have the resilient ecosystem. So you talk there about prevention being the best cure, really. What are the most effective ways from your perspective and DG Echo's perspective of preventing wildfires? The EU uh, support and complements uh, the prevention and preparedness efforts um, done by the member states. Uh, we focus on the areas when the more um, regional or European approach is very effective. So first, uh, and the most obvious one is uh, to do the um, regional risk assessment, to identify the uh, disaster risk across the EU and to, to find the, the preventive measures and to find the, the way to mitigate the risk. Uh, we also uh, encourage the research and promote disaster re resilience. And then in terms of effective ways of, of putting it out, if, if you do have wildfires, you said water doesn't always work and you need to pivot to other ways. What are those other ways? You, you, you can see that um, more and more firefighters, they are deployed to um, fight the fires without the hose lines. So uh, uh, they are uh, very often uh, helicoptered or they reach remote uh, areas on foot. They cut the, the vegetation to make a fire suppression lines. Uh, basically, they want to build a, a line on which the fire will stop itself. And this can be done in the emergency mode, but this can also be planned ahead to make these uh, suppression lines to make sure that if fire occurs, it will naturally downgrade or even stop itself. And do you have better tools and resources available to you now than you previously had, the fact that there might be pooled resources or things like satellite monitoring? Yes, we have to evolve. Since the situation is evolving, it's changing, the climate change uh, is challenging us every year. So we have also to develop uh, tools that will be more efficient. You mentioned the satellite imagery. Uh, this is one of the areas where um, the EU provides a support to member states. So if you imagine a big fire, it's hard to comprehend how big is it and how it. Uh, what is the behavior. We can activate the uh, Copernicus uh, satellite um, survey, and in hours you will have um, a picture of of the area that is affected by fire, and this helps uh, the first responder uh, responders to, make, to to come up with a plan with a strategy how to put them down. On top of that, uh, early warnings. It's the area where we also invest a lot of efforts and money because it's better to to know when the fire uh, occurs in advance, uh, not to be reactive. In addition, uh, there is a lot of uh, new technologies uh, in incorporated, like drones, uh, that provides uh, basically real-time uh, view for, for the uh, incident commanders and also uh, at the strategic level to make sure that we understand 
understand the, the file the same way. And on top of that, from from the broader perspective, from from let's say from the EU perspective, we are um, securing more and of assets that can can be. Uh, utilized when needed. Uh, we are investing in trainings in exchange of uh, experience uh, for the experts. We are also um, providing an advisory teams that can be deployed from one place to another to to come up with a strategy to to, to use the most effective uh, tactics to, to to battle the fires. You you said earlier that you were a firefighter yourself, and I'm just wondering, like personally, has the trajectory of the wildfires made climate change and, and the climate crisis more real to you that you actually have seen the devastation of these fires? Yes, I, I believe that this is uh, really something that has changed um, uh, in the current years. Uh, so uh, from, from the firefighter perspective, we need to adapt uh, to the challenges that we are seeing right now. Um, it's, it starts from, from the equipment that we are using. We, we need to, we need to be quicker. We need to be, uh, we need to be more effective. Uh, we need to also uh, liaise with uh, with the local governments. We need to uh, also uh, build a policy to to make sure that the the community understands the risk uh, associated to the fire that can occur in the forest. We need to make sure that there is a prevention uh, measures in place, uh, and that uh, we as a, as the firefighter community are prepared to, uh, to respond uh, for for the for the fires that uh, we just mentioned, including the big ones. Just on that then, what's the one thing that you'd like people to come away with after listening to this podcast, this one lesson about forest fires? No, first, we need to understand that it's not uh, not the problem that occurs in the Southern Europe. Uh, it is more and more common uh, in Central and Northern Europe. So we need to realize that this is a danger that uh, everyone at some point can can face. So uh, we need to be prepared. So uh, it's good to, to know what to do when the fire occurs. And even more important, what to do not to cause the fire yourself. So I would say that's that's the main message I would like to convey. Yeah, and speaking to Pork earlier, I think we're kind of clear that it is even something that can impact our, our very wet island here in Ireland. Martin and Pork earlier, thanks so much for coming in and explaining all of that to The Explainer. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Explainer and a big thank you to Pork and Marchin for joining us. This episode of The Explainer was brought to you by senior producer Nikki Ryan. It was sponsored by DG Echo. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting us so we can continue to make more just like this one. There's a couple of things you can do. Head to thejournal.ie forward slash contribute to become a monthly subscriber or make a one-off donation. You can also leave us a review and rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. It's a really great way to make sure other people can discover us, listen and love it as well. Thank you and catch you next time.